Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your word today, Lord, and we acknowledge that it's your word, not ours. And Father, I pray, I know that of myself I can absolutely say nothing without your power, without the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I rely fully on the anointing of the Holy Spirit today to speak your words and not mine. Father, we submit to you today, acknowledging that you are the highest name. And Father, we pray that you would speak. Would you speak through this empty vessel today, Lord? Lord, nothing of me, all of you. Father, bring your words of life. Speak into our hearts today, Lord, as we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as you'll probably be aware, we've been working through this sweet Bible study on Wednesday nights. And uh, it's been really, for me personally, quite an exciting experience because having been a Christian for a long number of years, you know, I might not look at what well, maybe I do, but uh, I'm in my 30s now. I made a commitment to Jesus when I was 7, and I was baptised when I was 14. And some people have known me quite a bit of time, like Kathy and Bill there, and obviously my mum and dad and Andy. You know, mum and dad kind of knew me since I was, yeah. Uh, what was it like before I got saved? What was it like? Mental. <laughs> Still was mental afterwards. But you know, sometimes you think you've worked it all out. You know, you just kind of think you've came to a maturity in your life. You've heard, the, you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ a lot. For some of us in here, we were maybe brought up in Christian circles. And we've heard this message a lot. I was privileged to be brought up in a Christian family. You know, and uh, folks who taught me about Jesus... I accepted Jesus at a young age, no doubt as a result of the prayers and the conversations I had with family members. Um, but there's a depth coming into my life now. You know, the word talks about how he who started a good work in you will bring it on to completion. And we're never quite finished, Paul says, I press on toward the goal. And I can testify today, it's not to do with how good I am, but I'm not the person I used to be. And I'm not even the person I was two months ago. God's moving is on towards himself. It's his work that does it. And I just encourage you, if you're a believer here today, or even if you're not, come along on a Wednesday night. We're going to be digging in deeper to this and to the truth of what the good news is. Now today, I'm going to go into Colossians. Um, The passage is going to be Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. But what I'd like to do is just do a wee outline about the context of Colossians. If you were here on a Wednesday night, you may have seen these. But I'm just going to outline the context in which this church in Colossae was formed. Okay? There's a wee map. <laughs> As you can see, Colossae is tucked in here in what is now the southeast part of Turkey. So that's its location. Okay? And the time of this letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, was approximately 60 to 63 AD, after Jesus has died and rose again. It was written by Paul about the same time as his letters to Philemon and to Ephesus. Uh, and also, if you have a wee look at the next slide, the city. Colossae was one of the three cities located about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. The other two cities were Laodicea and Herapolis. And this was a, a meeting point between east and west. This is where people travelled through. It was a trading point. 
And at one time these cities, including Colossae, were growing and prosperous, but it was slipping into what we would call nowadays a credit crunch or a recession. It was really hitting an economic crisis. And it became what we would call now a small town that's struggling a wee bit financially. Yet, it seemed important enough to the Apostle Paul to write a letter to this wee church in Colossae that hadn't been long started and was in a bit of a crisis economically. Next. Colossae probably would never have been mentioned in the New Testament if it hadn't been for the church there. The city is never named in the book of Acts because Paul didn't start the Colossian church nor had he visited it so he hadn't met the people there hadn't seen them he just heard of their faith. Here read that in Colossians. Here was a a church of unknown people in a small town receiving an inspired letter from the great Apostle Paul. I just want to say to you today you know God's speaking to us here in Middlesbrough. Small church in a town and things aren't always going too well. And it's just been interesting as we've been working through this book. A number of us have commented, and I felt as well, it's as if God's speaking straight into us, our own situation here right now, and giving us a personal word. Okay. I'll not go through these individuals, we're just going to the next slide. Could do that on a Wednesday night. But there was a, a crisis happening that sparked Paul to write this letter to the Colossian church. What was the crisis? Well, the crisis was a heresy, a false doctrine that that threatened the the peace and purity of the Colossian church. Um, There was these guys called Gnostics. Sounds like a strange word, but you see there, there's a Greek word, um, Gnosis, which means to know. And Gnostics were people that were very common as in the know, or as I would call them, they were know-it-alls. They were people who thought they were in the know. People who thought they had a wee bit more information than the basic Christian believer. And were telling folks a lot of lies really about this. Okay? So this was the crisis. The key theme that comes out of Colossians as you study it is that Jesus Christ is preeminent. Big word. Jesus Christ is supreme. And you look up supreme in the dictionary, it says this. Supreme is to be outstanding, to stand out, having the highest in rank, authority, dignity, or importance. Outstanding, supreme. Highest in degree or equality. It also means the ultimate, final, as in the supreme sacrifice. It's interesting that's even in the dictionary. The supreme sacrifice of Jesus is listed there. Supreme. Okay. My message today to us all is out from the grave. Out from the grave. Let's turn to Colossians 2, 6-15, please. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord... You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies or high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. 
so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. God will bless the reading of his word. An exhortation for us today. Over the last four weeks, Alec has been taking us through a series on encouragement. It's been very good, hasn't it? And on week two, he mentioned a type of encouragement which is called exhortation. This is, exhortation is a word of encouragement, but also at the same time, a word of warning. Often there's a rebuke in there, and an encouragement just next to each other side by side. A rebuke and an encouragement. But this always should be motivated by love and a concern for the person's concern. You know, it's not as if you just go, oh, well, that's what a fault in you and I'm just going to come in and annihilate you out of a motivation of uh, badness or well, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, this exhortation comes from a loving friend, someone that's concerned about you, but sees something that's gone wrong and wants to, in love, warn you about it and encourage you in the right way. This is exactly what an exhortation is. Here Paul is bringing a word of exhortation to the Christian believers in Colossae. They'd already made a commitment these folks here. And uh, they knew what it was to be saved. But here he gives them the first exhortation. It's up on the screen here. Continue to live in Christ. Or the uh, New Living Translation says follow him. Continue to follow Christ. In verses 6 and 7 he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in, in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, the Christian life just continues just like it begins, centred on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was, it's been interesting in New Beginnings, just listening to some of the testimonies of people, and when we, we went into Colossians chapter 1, it spoke about how the folks in Colossae were overflowing with thankfulness and how they'd, their lives had changed. And we just sat and listened to a few testimonies of folks at the Wednesday night explaining to us how over the last year or so they met the Lord Jesus as their Saviour and what a change has occurred. And, the, and, and one person was just saying, it was Sarah, she was just saying, I'm just so thankful, I'm just so thankful, I'm just so thankful. She just kept saying, I'm thankful. So thankful to Jesus that he loves me. An overflow of thankfulness is what happens. But you know, sometimes it can wear, it can wear away, can't it? There's that excitement and enthusiasm that starts when you first become a Christian and you go, I'm saved. Oh, amazing, God's taking my sins away. I'm a totally changed person and you see the fruit of the Lord in your life. And you tell everyone about it. 
And then things happen. Things go wrong in your life. A wee crisis occurs. Somebody hurts you. There's a problem in your family. There's illness. And just through the things of this life, the troubles, the concerns, the difficulties of life, we lose that joy. Don't we? That's happened to me. Paul says, continue as you begun. It's all about Jesus. It should be centred that you should turn your eyes to Jesus. When we were studying the parable of the sower recently, another really great study, I thought, Colossians 2 verse 7 was mentioned. And we saw that this, this concept here was the key to spiritual growth, letting our roots grow down into Jesus and letting our lives be built upon him. You know, just as plants draw their nourishment from their roots, so we draw our life-giving strength from Christ. So there's just a wee encouragement there. Continue as you started. The second exhortation is don't listen to empty philosophies or high-sounding nonsense, which I prefer. Sounds a bit more everyday language. Nonsense, basically. Here Paul turns in his exhortation to condemn the false teaching that was in danger of, in Paul's own words, capturing this group of new Christian believers in Colossae. The false teaching was Gnostic legalism, or a type of it, um, that encouraged believers to continue to obey the old Jewish laws and practices. You know, these people in Colossae were Gentiles, they were non-Jews. And uh, just as we've been finding out, again on Wednesday nights, this message of Jesus wasn't just for the Jews. It was opened up to the whole world, to the Gentiles, and that's the category of folks that are in this new church. So they, they've been told this message is for you, accept Jesus as your saviour, be built up on him and grow. Then these Jewish folks come in and they say, no, 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 no. No, it's not as easy as that. You need to get back to the rules that we have, because we're more spiritual than you. And you need to obey these old practices. And if you look through, I'm not going to get into all of them today, but as you read on in Colossians chapter 2, it lists some of those things that were essentially old practices that were no longer required. So these Gnostic teachers were encouraging believers to continue to obey the old Jewish practices and that this would make them more spiritual. In fact, these folks saw themselves as the spiritual elite in the church. You know, we're the, we're the spiritual ones. But in fact, so often, the folks that regard themselves as spiritual are the least spiritual. And the ones that regard themselves as the least spiritual are the most spiritual. That's what I found in my own life. So, first of all, continue to live in Christ. Secondly, don't listen to empty philosophies. And third, how about a word of truth? The truth. Paul counters this false teaching by reinstating the truth about Jesus. Christ. In verses 9 to 10 it says, For in Christ is the fullness of the deity. The fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Paul here is restating what he wrote earlier in the Colossian letter. Let's turn back for a moment to Colossians 1 verses 15 to 20. I'll be on the screen as well. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So as we just read in the second chapter in verse 9, it said Jesus, all the fullness of God in a human body. <coughs> Compare that to verse 19 of chapter 1, where it says, For God in all, his, in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. See, these false teachers in Colossae were challenging the fact that Jesus was fully God. And they were challenging the fact that Jesus was fully human. Challenging both things. But Paul says to us here, God is fully revealed through Christ. God is fully revealed through Christ. And also, Jesus is fully God and he is fully human. See, that's the mystery, isn't it? That's the mystery. The visible image of the invisible God. God stepping down to this earth in human form, fully God, fully man, Jesus. I just read Colossians 1 verse 22 as well. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Do you feel that way? If you're a believer here today. No. This is the truth. Believers... We are also complete through our union with Christ, verse 10. We are also complete through our union with Christ. It says there, and you have been given fullness in Christ. I'm not going to suggest today that we can plumb the depths of that. I think we'll be spending the rest of our lives plumbing the depths of this mystery. But I believe God wants new beginnings to know more about this. That we have received these things as believers. It's a fact. It's the truth. We're made complete through our union with Christ. Done. Done. Fullness. What a mystery. The fullness of God being given to us believers. Completely. What a wonderful word of encouragement for the Christian believers this is. 
we are made complete through our union with Christ. Not, it doesn't mean that we have become God, no. But that Christ is now living in us. And in that union with Christ we have life and completeness. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 27, this is the secret, this is the mystery. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. Or NIV says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Warren Wearsby, the commentator, says this, when a person is born again into the family of God, he is born complete in Christ. His spiritual growth is not by addition, but by nutrition. He grows from the inside out. Nothing needs to be added to Christ because he already is the very fullness of God. As the believer draws on Christ's fullness, he is filled unto all the fullness of God. What more does he need? What more do we need? Praise be to God. Jesus, all the fullness of God in a human body. Believers, we are also complete through our union with Christ. Jesus is the head over every ruler and authority, verse 10. This is a reinstatement that Jesus is supreme. He is the head over every ruler and authority. You know, there's plenty of rulers and authority in the scene world, isn't there? New European president just being announced, someday guy with a funny name. Um, there's plenty of authorities in this world, and also the scriptures tell us there are authorities in the unseen world. And we know that Satan and his folks are busy in this world. But here is the statement. He's supreme, he's head over every ruler and authority, both seen and unseen. Praise God. And this is connected to the prior statement for the believer. That this is the fullness that is represented in us. Jesus, the head over every ruler and authority. So, if you're a believer today, be encouraged by these things. I'm going to speak in a moment to folks who haven't made a commitment to Jesus, but if you have, I hope you're encouraged by some of these things. You know, first of all, before you received Jesus, you were dead. I was dead. We were dead. Colossians 2.13 You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23 For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Man, if that was where the scriptures ended, we'd be in trouble. We would be in a lot of trouble. But it doesn't end in there. You know that last scripture, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see that sin causes this spiritual death. And that all of us have sinned. We're all in the same boat. You know, there's not one of us that can say we weren't born with a sinful nature. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we were born into sin, so the scriptures teach. 
We're all in the same boat. We might think we're not a great sinner. We might think we've only done a few sins. But we're all the greatest and the least in the same boat. Falling short of God's glorious standard. And this spiritual death is what we're born into through sin. And sin causes a separation, a gap between man and God. Before we come to faith in Jesus, we are spiritually dead. We're living physically, but we're dead spiritually. We're living physically, but we're dead spiritually. Verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So what's going to happen here? It needs to be got rid of. This spiritual problem has to be dealt with. In verses 11 to 12, Paul refers to, again, this false teaching. False teaching that's going out that the Christian believer still had to be physically circumcised. This was part, again, of the Jewish traditions that, that were part of being uh, right with God. But this isn't necessary for a believer in Jesus. And Paul says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You see, this isn't actually a physical procedure that we're talking about. It's a spiritual procedure. It is essential that all of us experience this cutting away of the sinful nature through faith in the Lord Jesus. You notice it doesn't say through your own ability, cut this thing away. It doesn't say you can do anything in yourself. It says through trusting in the mighty power of God, through faith. So, believer, you were dead next now you are alive now you are alive verse 13 it says this then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins isn't that great now you are alive you know again sometimes we don't feel alive we feel as if sickness and whatever you know and life's stuff is getting thrown at us and we don't feel quite as physically fit as we used to do we don't feel quite the same energy maybe even spiritually we're not in a good place right now we don't feel that life but for a believer in Jesus this is a fact now you are alive next the record is cancelled Verse 14, he cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You know, we know a lot about records in Scotland, you know. You, folks talk about you got a record and prison record and all the rest of it. But for all of us, whether we've actually been in prison or not by the government, or we have a record of sin. All have sinned. And in God's eyes... There was a record, a price that had to be paid for that. You know, the wages of sin is death. This was not something that was going to go away without somebody paying the price. Jesus stood in our place on the cross. He literally stood in our place on the cross, each one of us. 
And in so dying, in shedding his blood for us on the cross, he bore our sins on to himself. Imagine this is your record. And on here, I would need a book. (laughs) This is the record of all of your sins. He took it and he nailed it up. He nailed it onto the cross. One time I was sitting in a retreat um, and there was a cross up on the wall with Jesus on it. And um, I was feeling quite down at the time and thinking about all my failures and things I'd done wrong as, even as a Christian. And the Lord spoke directly. I couldn't hear him in an audible voice, but I wrote down what I heard in my spirit. He said, it's because of your failures that I died. I took all of your sins. I cancelled them and I nailed them to the cross. But how often do we listen to lies that tell us a record hasn't been cancelled? This is amazing. He stood in our place. We deserve the penalty, but he stood there. Not only did he stood there in the place, he took our punishment on himself and he got rid of the charges, took it away, nailing it to the cross. And you know, the cross was despised. You know, the Romans thought of the worst thing they could do to somebody to kill them. It was a cross. It was a curse. They were thinking this is the worst thing we can do. And remember that it was the Jewish people themselves that turned their backs onto Jesus and said, crucify him. This was a humiliation by the world's standards. But not by God's standards. This was the path to victory. Victory. The victory is won. The victory is won. In this way, on the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You know, the world was trying to shame Jesus. But God disarmed the world and he shamed them when he stood there on a cross. And he won the victory. He won the victory. He turned it upside down. The whole of the world system. Turned it upside down. When Jesus died and rose again, he won a complete and final victory over sin. You see, it wasn't just about his death as well. He bore, shed his blood for the remission of our sins, says the scriptures. This was the prophecy. Without the shedding of blood, there can't be remission of sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. Absolutely perfect. Sinless. It was a sinless, perfect sacrifice. He shed his blood for the taking away of our sins. But not only that, he rose again. He rose again. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Now we couldn't get eternal life if he just died, could we? Could we? We couldn't. How could we get life from a dead saviour? The real victory here is combined. The victory, the death on the cross and the resurrection. Let's go for a final word of exhortation. 
Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Verses 26 to 39. Last week, just as Alec was closing his preaching, he mentioned that um, Paul got an opportunity for a word of encouragement to the folks there. And this is the tail end of, of this word of exhortation to the folks there. Acts 13 verse 26. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles. He's addressing both the Jews and the Gentiles here. This message of salvation has been sent to us. Exclamation mark. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognise Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him and in so doing, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all this, that the prophecies had sent about him, they took him down from the cross and they placed him in a tomb, but... God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone from with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us. Their descendants by raising Jesus. This is what the second Psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead. Not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another Psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to, to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation. He died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No it was a reference to someone else. Someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. But God raised them from the dead. Do you know what it is to be forgiven by the Lord Jesus today? Have you ever done that? I'm not talking about if you've been through the motions, said a few prayers and done a few things. I mean, do you really, can you tell me today, you know the life of Jesus in you? If you do, that's great. If you don't, I want to challenge you today. Search your heart. Do you know this living power of Jesus Christ in your life? And if you don't, the door's open to you. Because it says here, verse 38, we're here to proclaim that this man, through this man Jesus there's forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. So you have an opportunity. And what you need to do is believe. So can I just encourage you today, I'm going to lead in a wee prayer. If you have never 
believed in the Lord Jesus to save you and you've never really experienced in your life this new life that we're talking about today this life, the fullness of God living in you let me tell you, if it's there then you'll know it you will know there's been a change if you don't know that then I'll, I'll pray with you and if you have walked with Jesus for a year or many many years I do believe God wants to say something to us today he's saying wake up you're actually alive, you're not dead